We are beginning a new series this evening. I'm so excited about this. I've been chewing on this for uh, a little while. It was the end of last year. So around the fall of last year, the Lord told me to start considering developing a message on uh, the theme of worship, talking about worship. And so I start to chew on that and think about that. And I'm thinking that's colossal. Like where exactly do you want me to go? And within that theme. And then fast forward to just a few weeks ago, I was in this room and uh, with my uh, life group and having a conversation with a friend, and she, um, this conversation just stuck with me. It was really struck me. She was talking about how, uh, a um, altar call that happened right here in our church um, maybe just a few months ago, and the altar call was for individuals who had been experiencing a broken heart. And she raised her hand in response to this altar call. But what she said is, when I looked around, more than half of the room raised their hand in response to this altar call for having a broken heart. And she made a comment that really struck me. She said, it seems like in the body that wholeness is the minority. Wholeness is the minority. And I I hear that, I'm like, yeah. You know, you're right. I think about my, my own life, my own heart, and the things that I experience. I'm like, yeah, that is true, and that should not be. We it just Logically, it doesn't make sense. When we have been given all good things for life and godliness through Christ Jesus, Christ has given us the capacity to live with whole, unblemished, healthy, healthy hearts. And yet, we see over half of the body of Christ walking around with serious heart pains and issues on a regular basis. That should not be. So I begin to ask the Lord, in light of him asking me to do a message on worship, what, where is the discrepancy? Where is this gap coming from between our hearts and living whole before the Lord? If Christ has made everything available to us to have whole, healthy hearts, how has this gap been created where many of us walk around on a regular basis with serious heart conditions, serious ailments and things going on internally? What's the gap? What is the solution? How do we close the gap? between what my heart is experiencing and what Christ has made available to me. And that gap is closed in worship. And not just worship, because worship is not singing songs or even checking off our daily Bible reading. Worship has not been achieved unless surrender has taken place. We can sing songs up here all day long. I do it all the time. I've led worship, but my heart been far from God. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever showed up at church and you're singing the songs and you're even lifting your hands, but your heart ain't nowhere close. You're you're somewhere else. You gone. I've experienced that many times. Our hearts can be far removed. If surrender has not taken place, worship has not taken place. And surrender happens in the place of our hearts our hearts. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about heart issues. <laughs> I like that. Isn't that funny? <laughs> I enjoy it if nobody else does. It's a play on words and we'll get to what's going on with this title here in a moment. But heart issues is what we're going to be talking about. I want to talk about the relationship between our hearts, the action of surrender, and how it connects to worship over these next couple of weeks. And so we're going to be spending some time unpacking some of those thoughts. But I want to begin right now with talking about 
about what the heart is. Because our 21st century American idea, our concept of what heart is, is very distinct, it's very specific, but it's very different than a Hebrew understanding of heart. And so we have to come at it from a different angle. We have to begin to unpack what's going on when a Hebrew says, my heart delights in you, Lord, or the desires of my heart. What is a Hebrew talking about when they talk about the heart? The heart is, it is a central theme throughout all of Scripture. I think you could argue that all of this Scripture is a story of God's pursuit of man's heart. That theme runs from cover to cover, the heart. Heart is cited in the Strong's Concordance over 800 times. It's written in Scripture, referred to over and over again. And the first time you ever see the word heart mentioned, God is searching man's heart, and he looks on the hearts of men. It's in Genesis. I can't remember the chapter. Maybe Genesis 6. I am not Jacob Share, just so y'all know. I will not be throwing verses at y'all. It's in here somewhere. (laughs) I Google. That's what Google's for. Okay. But um, so somewhere in Genesis, it talks about God looking on the hearts of men and their thoughts in their hearts are evil continually. And then the second mention follows right after it says God looks on this and he's grieved in his heart. So from the very beginning, when heart is talked about, there is this connection between the hearts of men and the heart of God. God is after the hearts of men, and he will not be satisfied until he has our hearts, all of our hearts. And Christ made that possible. So getting back to the ideas, what are the Hebrew ideas going on at the heart? Oh, I want to read this verse real fast. It's Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5. I really think this, it's the Shema. It encompasses what God is after. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. This is just one among hundreds of verses about God wanting the whole heart of man. So when he says he's after our hearts, why is he after our heart? Why is this the thing? If the story, if this story is an epic quest, God is the hero of this quest and he's on a mission to secure the hearts of men, why are they so valuable to him? Why does he want your whole heart so desperately? The Hebrew understanding of the word heart is that this one we have in common, this first one we have in common with the Hebrews. It's that we perceive the heart to be the seat of our emotions, the seat of our affections and desires. So an American understanding, your heart is, uh, when we say that, that person's got a big heart, it means they're really affectionate, they love people really well, or that person's really in tune with their heart. We usually mean, oh, they're very in tune with their emotions. Or we'll say things like, oh, you should follow your heart. And that means to follow your desires. This is kind of our American understanding, a concept of the heart, that the heart is the seat of our emotions, our affections, and our desires. But the Hebrew understanding is much broader than that. The heart is also the seat of our intelligence. And that's a different thought for us because Once you get to the Greeks, which we're more heavily uh, influenced by, Greeks separated mind and heart. Your emotions, your feelings, they were over here. Your heart's over here. Your mind, your intellect is over here. And that has influenced the way that we think about these things. But Hebrews understood the heart to be the seat 
of your intellect, meaning the seat of your intelligence, your thoughts, your understanding, your wisdom. Your brain helps you to function and helps you to process and do normal, regular things, but your heart is where your wisdom comes from, where your intellect and intelligence is seated. Think of the, the proverb that says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he, because the heart thinks. The heart is the seat of the intelligence. Also, the, the heart is the seat of our will or our purpose. Our desires, our ambitions, our purpose in life flow out of our heart. That's, man, God's all over that. He's like, I, I want that part of them. I want their purpose. I want their will. When the Lord says, I will put my instruction in their heart, he is saying, I want to put my will into their will where their will actually becomes mine. Their heart actually becomes my heart. That's why he writes his law on our heart, because he wants to occupy that space because everything is flowing out of our hearts. And we'll get to that in a moment. But lastly, the heart is the seat of, or the, it, it's the seat of the tone or the quality of our character, who you really are at your core who you are when nobody else is around, who you are with your spouse, the core of who you are, that is seated in your heart. So this is a much broader view than just your emotions. That's, it goes much deeper than that. Your heart is who you are, and that's what God is after. And so I want to make a note before we move on, something that is just brilliant and beautiful and wonderful and one of the many reasons we worship is the moment that you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, anybody done that in this room? The moment you did that, guess what? You got a brand new heart, a beautiful, clean, malleable heart full of love, and now ready and receptive for whatever the Father wants to do in and through you. And that's promised, is prophesied in Ezekiel a few times, but here's one of them. Ezekiel 36, 26. It says, a new heart also will I give you. Everybody say new heart. Mm, I just love it. A new heart I will give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. Before we receive Jesus, our hearts are stony, meaning they are not receptive to the things of God. They're not receptive to the word of God, nor to the spirit of God. My heart cannot actually receive the work of God until I receive the finished work of Christ. When Christ enters into my heart in that moment, the moment I confess him as Lord and Savior, I'm given a heart of flesh, meaning my heart is now malleable. Holy Spirit can begin to take my heart and mold it and form it into the image of Christ. Until I receive Christ, transformation is not possible. True change is not possible apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. But when you receive Jesus, your heart's ready. You're receptive. Whatever God wants to do and in through you, you now have the capacity for him to do because you have a new heart. Isn't that awesome? Man, that, that is dancing news. God can, is, he's able now 
to transform me into Jesus. That's the goal. I want to transform you into the likeness of my dear son. That's what we're after. And now he can do it because we have the capacity to be molded, to be changed supernaturally by the power of the Holy Spirit. But I don't know about you. I gave my life to the Lord over two decades ago. And since that time, I have encountered a lot of heart issues, <laughs> a lot of junk. Anybody walked through some junk in the past couple decades? <laughs> My heart has gone through a lot of stuff, but I've got this new beautiful heart in Jesus. Why am I having to deal with all this junk and all this yuck coming out of my heart and passing through my heart? Pains, disappointments, bitterness, jealousy, everything you can imagine has passed through my heart in the past couple of decades. So what do we do now that we've been given this new heart in Christ? How do we begin to walk out his molding us into the image of Jesus? And how do we keep up this maintenance Hearts need maintenance. They need regular tending. So I want us to look for a moment at a favorite verse. Um, actually, no, we're not going to do that. <laughs> Backtrack. <laughs> I, wanted, I guess I'll, I'll go ahead and tell you this, that moving from this, uh, having uh, this new heart that we've been given in Christ Jesus and tending it, doing the work on a regular basis, on a daily basis, the key word I want y'all to have just quickly is the word surrender. I told y'all we're going to be talking about surrender over the next couple of weeks. The way that we maintain our hearts is by surrendering access to our hearts to the Holy Spirit. And we do that in worship. And I love the definition of the word surrender. It says to surrender is to cease resistance and submit to an authority. I'm not going to keep resisting you in these different pockets of my heart and life. I'm going to yield and surrender and submit to your authority in these areas of my life. That is what we achieve when we begin to engage in worship. Worship at the beginning of our corporate time of worship. We don't do that just because we like music, although we do really enjoy music. This is opportunity to yield our hearts to the Lord so that he can come in and begin to do a work within them. So now I think I've got a picture for you. I have a picture up here. Let's see. Yes. Look at that, guys. Isn't that beautiful? Anybody recognize that place? Yeah, it's in Rome. This is Trevi Fountain. It's in Rome. It's gorgeous. This thing is colossal. Look at, see those itty bitty people? You'll see the itty bitty people on the side? It's big. This fountain is huge. Um, I got to stand in front of this fountain not long ago, and it is colossal. It's breathtaking. It's beautiful. I want you to look at that, have that up here as you hear this scripture. This is a beloved favorite scripture. It's Proverbs 4.23. It says, guard your heart with all diligence because from it flow, spring the issues of life. From your heart flow, spring the issues of life. Our uh, series title comes from this verse, Heart Issues. It's a play on words because what this verse is saying in Proverbs is that everything in your life passes through the fountain of your heart. Everything, everything that you do and the way that you respond to everything that is done to you passes through your heart. 
There's not anything in your life that has not first passed through the space of your heart. I've heard it said this way, that what is in your life today was in your heart yesterday. Everything passes through your heart. And I love this verse because it introduces this idea that I have a role to play in the stewarding of what passes through my heart. Again, it's I guard my heart with all diligence because from it spring the issues of life. All of the content of my life is going to flow or pass through my heart. And I am given a role by the Father in the stewarding of my heart to guard it. I get to guard my heart. A guard gives access or denies access. I get to give access to things I want to give access to, and I deny things that I want to deny access to, meaning I can deny access to words of discouragement that come from loved ones. I can deny access to the lies of the enemy. I can deny access to the enemy bringing up my past all the time. I can give access to the Word of God. I can give access to peace and patience. I can deny access to worry and anxiety. I can give access to love and give access to truth. Amen? I get to choose what is going to have access in my heart, in my fountain. So that brings us to this picture. Standing around this place, it gets tons of traffic. Tons of traffic. There are people around this place 24-7, hundreds of thousands of people. This picture does not, I should have got y'all a picture with some people in it so you can really tell. They're surrounding this place all the time. A lot of activity. And tourists are throwing coins in this place. When you go to Rome, this is a place you're supposed to go to Trevi Fountain, and you're supposed to take a coin, and you throw it over your shoulder into the fountain. And if you do this, it means you'll get to return to Rome one day. Well, Trevi Fountain collects $25,000 of coins a week. What? That's crazy, y'all. Like, what y'all doing? Keep y'all's coins. Like, that's crazy. I mean, uh, they say that that money is going to different things to feed people in the city. I don't know. We'll, <laughs> we'll see. But, uh, but $25,000 worth of coins are being tossed into Trevi Fountain. And um, so people, and I read uh, not long ago, there was a big restoration project in 2014, a deep restoration project over Trevi Fountain um, that was like a $2 million project where they deep cleaned it and restored it. And they also installed LED lights. So now this sucker lights up at night and you can literally be around it 24-7. It never sleeps. There's always traffic in this place. So with so much activity, you can imagine there are people assigned to guard this place. They're assigned to be mindful of individuals who decide they want to end up on the Roman evening news and take a dive into this fountain because you get a few streakers, you get a few wild tourists, and they end up inside of Trevi Fountain. And so there are guards manned around to um, remove them, <laughs> take them captive and remove them. These guards have a responsibility to decide what gets access to this fountain and decide what doesn't get access. That brings me to another team. So you've got your guards that are taking care of this fountain, but there's also another team responsible for the maintenance of this uh, fountain, and that's your restoration crew. 
The restoration crew comes in there periodically. Somebody's got to remove that $25,000 every week or it will start to pile up. They come in and they clean it. They do a, a treatment of the, of the stonework. They test the pH balance of the water. They have to make sure that the water is not going to corrode the work and that the water doesn't start getting nasty. They are responsible for searching out that fountain, cleaning it, and treating and testing every part of it. We have the role of guarding our hearts, but the Word tells us that the Lord is responsible for searching the heart. He goes in and he searches our hearts. He tests our hearts. He cleans them. He treats them. Whatever is needed, the Lord will meet that need. In First um, Chronicles 28, 9, this is another common theme in Scripture that the Lord's role regarding our hearts is to search them out. First Chronicles 28, 9, it says, The Lord searches or tests all hearts and understands all the intents and the thoughts, all the intents of the thoughts. This is another way of saying intense is what's coming out of it. What's issuing out of the heart, the Lord understands it. He searches our hearts. He tests our hearts. He cleans and does the work of restoring our hearts on a regular basis. But what if, go back to Trevi Fountain, what if the guards, when the restoration crew was coming, what if the guards said to the restoration crew, ah, uh, not today. You can't get in the fountain today. It's my job to guard, and I say you can't get in. <laughs> but the restoration crew, we're, we're here to clean. We're here to take care of it. We're here to move all those coins and treat the water and treat the rock. What is going to happen to Trevi Fountain if the guard continues to deny access to the restoration team for a month? What would Trevi Fountain look like in a month? We're talking $100,000 worth of coins piling up and affecting that water. What would Trevi Fountain look like in six months if the guards continue to deny access to the restoration team? What would this fountain look like in a year? It would become completely dilapidated. It would be overgrown, and we would lose this beautiful treasure and piece of history. Your heart is far more valuable than that piece of history. Your heart requires the attention, the careful attention of the restoration team, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we too often, we get so busy that I'll spend time with him tomorrow. I'll get to it tomorrow. I know this because I do this. I'm speaking from experience. I will get to it tomorrow. I'll spend time with you tomorrow. I'll read the word tomorrow. I'll engage in worship tomorrow. I'll address that thing that I know is in my heart and I know you want to deal with tomorrow. And then tomorrow turns into a week where you've not been in deep communion with the Father. And then a week turns into a month. And then months turn into years of not having fully experienced what it is to surrender the fountain of your heart to the only one who can bring restoration to it. We cannot deny, Father, access to our hearts because no one else can search the heart. Your husband cannot search the heart. Your kids cannot search the heart. Your job, your titles, you can have all of that stuff, but at the end of the day, all you are is that fountain. And if you don't give access to the only one who can restore it, you will end up dilapidated. Amen. We end up dilapidated. And then we wonder how we got there. 
I know this to be true because I've lived this. I wonder, God, how did I get here? How did I get so far from you? How did I get so far from my purpose? How did I get so far off base, so far off track? Because I went week after week or day after day denying him access to my heart, denying him that uh, privilege of getting to come in and do a deep work in me, surrendering to him. Only you can give access to God. Nobody else can give that. Nobody else can guard. God will not do your job and you cannot do his. You can't search your heart. You can't treat your heart. There's nothing I can do in the maintenance of my own fountain. Nothing you can do. No yoga, no new diet, no new haircut will treat that deep places of who you are. No hunting trip. Sorry, I'll include some guy things. No hunting trip. What do y'all do? Uh, no arrow shooting. Uh, what, that's also hunting. Basketball. No um, disc golf. Fishing. There we go. None of that. Those are good things. And recreation is a very important part of walking out relationship with Jesus. He wants us to have fun. He wants us to enjoy our lives. But if we're doing that without surrender, worship has not taken place. And if surrender has not taken place, then God has not gained access to the place of our hearts. And that's what he's after. So with the remainder of the time that I have, <laughs> I want us to look at a beloved story. I love, 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 love this story. This is one in scripture that I will go back to for the rest of my life. I just glean so much out of this. And um, it's in 2 Samuel 6. We'll be there. We'll be in 2 Samuel Six for the next couple of weeks. We're going to take this one story into pieces. But tonight I want to talk specifically about neglect. Heart neglect. What happens when we neglect to surrender our heart, our will, our purpose? Remember what we said the heart is? All of those things. My purpose, my will, my emotions, the core of my being. When I neglect to surrender those things to the Lord on a regular basis, things don't go well. <laughs> and that's what's happening in 2 Samuel. Uh, David has this desire to bring the Ark of the Covenant into the city of David. It's been displaced, the tabernacle long gone. The Philistines have had the precious Ark of the Covenant for I think the last 20 years. I'm not positive, but it's been out of possession of the children of Israel. And the Ark of the Covenant, when you look at the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant is this beautiful, I should have got a picture, this beautiful gold container, we can say, if you don't know what it looks like, um, that would sit in the heart of the tabernacle. And the blood would be sprinkled over the mercy seat. And that mercy seat, the blood on that mercy seat would atone for the sins of the nation. And there was all this interaction with and centered around the Ark of the Covenant. And the Spirit of the Lord would dwell between the cherubim on top of the Ark of the Covenant. Inside of the Ark, you had manna, you had uh, the Ten Commandments, and the Rod of Aaron. So if you think about this as a picture, the Ark really is kind of a picture of our hearts. It's a picture of our hearts. The presence of God dwells here. The blood of the lamb has covered our hearts, given us a new heart. Inside of the ark, you've got the rod of Aaron that represents our priesthood, that we represent Jesus in the earth. You've got the tablets or the commandments that represents the law of God that has been written on our hearts. That's his rule. And then you've got the manna. I, this is the conclusion I draw. You may draw a different conclusion, but I love that manna means 
means what is it. So I think of that as the Holy Spirit. Because for centuries, the church has been like, uh, what is it? What, who, who is it? What is the Holy Spirit? So you've got the presence of the Holy Spirit in your heart. So this actually is a beautiful picture of our hearts. And David wants to retrieve it. David wants to bring it home, and it's a good idea. And so they make an attempt And really, this first attempt to bring the Ark of the Covenant into the city of David is a story of neglect. It's a story of neglect, and we'll see why, because everything goes wrong. It doesn't go according to plan, so I'm going to read it to you. 2 Samuel 6, we're going to start in verse 3. It says, so they set the Ark of God on a new cart. Everybody say, new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab. We're just going to work through it, y'all, all these names. They brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. Say new cart. We want that to stick. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. Then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments, of fir wood, on harps, on stringed instruments, on tambourines, on sistrums, and on cymbals. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, the cart gets jostled. They get to the threshing floor. The cart is jostled. Uzzah puts out his hand to the ark of God to take hold of it, because that's what you would do if something's about to fall, right? He puts his hand out to take hold of it, for the oxen had stumbled. But the anger of the Lord is aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his error, and he died there by the ark of God. This is a rough, rough story. Like, what in the world? When you read this in the, in the Hebrew, this is very violent. Uzzah doesn't just drop dead. The, the word actually literally means he, like, explodes when he touches the ark of God. And this, to me, speaks so many things about the way I try to live my life by myself without reference to the Father, without checking in with Him, without coming to Him to surrender to His way or to His plan. There's three things that have gone wrong here and three things I think we can really relate to every day. Like, I mean, we, there's a temptation to do this stuff every day. Number one, they put the ark of God on a new cart. Had they done their research, had they consulted the Lord, had they consulted Scripture, They would have known that the ark has to be carried. It has to be carried on the backs of the priests. The priests have to carry. You can't put the ark of God on an oxen cart. But you know what they did? They saw all the Philistines move it this way. The Philistines, it worked for the Philistines. We'll try it that way. We'll build an ox cart. That's more convenient. It moves a lot faster. And don't we do that all the time? I'll, I'll, I got this, God. I've got my ox cart. I've got my plan, my way. It's more convenient. The Philistines do it. We'll be good. Everybody else is doing it this way. I'll walk out my purpose this way. I'll bear my heart this way. This is, this is I'll, I'll execute your vision for my life this way. Let me just use my ox cart. And don't we do that all the time? When we get in places of neglecting to come into communion with the Father, it's the natural uh, default. I'm going to build an ox cart. If I'm not coming to regular surrender before the Lord in worship on a regular basis, not consulting how he desires for me to live my life, your only natural response is to build an ox cart. 
I'm going to do it my way. I haven't taken time to ask. I haven't taken time to surrender. My, my best default now is to do it my way. And we build ox carts concerning every, all kinds of areas of our life all the time. The next thing that kind of goes wrong, because it's all downhill from here, literally downhill. And um, number two, I mean, this, this really hurts. I mean, David brings out the big guns as far as the worship team goes. I mean, you, I don't think I read this, but they're moving 30,000 people are in procession bringing this thing in. 30,000 people. This is a huge congregation of people, and most of them are musicians playing every kind of instrument you can imagine. And they're going before this ark, bringing this ark in, and everybody's singing and dancing. They got cymbals, and it's awesome. This like hill song times 20,000. It's like beautiful. And, and, and yet, things go horribly wrong. What I see here in bringing out the musicians is our a capacity to put on a good performance. We have such a big capacity, especially believers, to just put on a good performance. Let me just go through the motions of what I know God would want me to be doing and just put on my best performance for as long as I can manage. I'll just, I'll just go through the motions of everyday life, just do my best. I'm just trying to get through, I'm just trying to survive, do my best, give God my best, and let me just give you my very best performance. But I love, there's a scripture that says, um, oh, what is it exactly? That's something about the, the, just the noise. Oh, it's in the 1 Corinthians 13, here we go. That if I don't have love, meaning I haven't actually encountered the living God in the place of my heart and surrender. I can speak with tongues of angels. I can, I can do all this awesome stuff, but at the end of the day, it's just noise. My good performance, if there's not a deep heart connect with the Father, at the end of the day, my best performance is just noise. I want a deep, heartfelt connection with the living God where I've actually surrendered my activity to the Father. I'm not just doing activity to do activity because I think it's the right thing to do. My activity is issuing from a relationship, a love relationship with God. Number three, Uzzah. This is a third thing that I just think speaks volumes. Uzzah's name means her strength. How often do we, the bride of Christ, try to live in our strength? When you try to carry a call of God in your strength, the call to be a mom, the call to be a spouse, uh, the call to your job, the call to your community. When you carry it in your own strength, we end up just like Uzzah. He imploded under the weight of something that was supposed to be a gift. When we try to walk in our calling, walk in our purpose, in and of our own strength, that's, that's all that ever happens, implosion and ultimately failure. Uzzah putting out his own strength. That's the picture I feel like of something I walked through in the past couple of years. In 2018, the Lord gave me very specific direction. He told me, um, I'll just tell y'all as much of it as I can without uncovering too much. You got to be careful up here. But I made an agreement with the Lord that if I've walked through something that's going to help somebody, I don't mind sharing it. But in 2018, the Lord gave me a very specific direction for my life, and it came in the form of four different directions that just touched different aspects of my life. And one of them, he gave me the direction to wake up really early in the morning and spend time with him. That is not law. 
The best time to spend with the Lord is not necessarily early in the morning. The best time to spend with him is whatever time you got. Spend it with him. But he gave me an instruction. He told me in 2020, in the fall of 2020, you're going to start your race, and I need you to have these habits in place before it starts. And so I fumbled through 2018, and I fumbled through 2019, sometimes waking up when he told me to and sometimes not. And then the fall of 2020 gets here, and I, literally, I started my race. I stepped into my first ministry position at a, a women's ministry in Durant. And sure enough, months into the calling, months into the race, I, I wasn't obeying him necessarily and waking up. I'm spending time with the Lord all the time. I'm just not spending time with you at 4 o'clock. Why can't you take 5 p.m.? Why, you know, why, why can't we spend lunch together? Um, but he gave, you, he gave me an instruction. And I was to surrender to and obey the instruction. It's not law for everybody, but it was an instruction that he gave me. And I should have obeyed it. Because he told me, honey, if you don't obey this, because this is where your strength's going to come from. And if you don't obey me, you're going to implode under the weight of your call. Those were his exact words. You will implode under the weight of your calling. And months into this work, I begin, I begin to feel that. Every aspect of my life was under attack. My cart was jostled, and I was going to carry it up, to pick it up, to take care of it in my own strength, and I'm imploding under the weight of what was supposed to be a gift. Your calling's a gift. Your life is a gift. You shouldn't be imploding under the weight of it. There is grace to carry what God has called you to carry, but it's going to require that you continually are seeking a life of surrender before him in the place of worship. So everybody, I want to go ahead and ask our servers to come forward. We're going to, I just want us to take time tonight specifically to begin to um, just evaluate, just begin to look at and reflect on our hearts. Like take this opportunity to, to, um, to surrender the place of our hearts to the Father. We... Um, we often rush moments like this in corporate settings because we think, man, I'll get to that when, when I'm at home. But I want us to take some time, take a moment, and ask the Lord this prayer. I love this prayer um, in Psalm 139, 23 through 24. It says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Let this be an opportunity before we come to the table of the Lord. The table of the Lord is a place of surrender. It's I'm putting my faith in the broken body of Jesus and his poured out blood. And I'm saying it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Coming to the table of the Lord is an act of surrender. So tonight, as we come to the table of the Lord, I want us to ask the Lord to search our hearts. If there is a place, Father, that I have denied you access so that you can come in and do the restoration that only you can do, then I give it to you right now. I want that to be our prayer tonight. I want you to meditate on this scripture. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting.